You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. For the last couple of weeks, we have been journeying through the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Matthew. We went from the Old Testament all throughout the first part of this year to starting on August 1st into the Gospel accounts, into the Gospel of Matthew, seeing the genealogy of Jesus as He is the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. He's the true Israel that's going to fulfill all that Israel was supposed to do. And then last week, we saw Jesus' baptism in the wilderness. We saw Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water and said this, and God said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And now because we are in Christ, it says in Romans 8.1, we also hear those words from the Father. That is awesome. Thank you over there, whoever said that. Thanks, Roth. That wasn't about my sermon, but that's awesome. That, that worked out really well timing-wise. And then we went from Jesus' baptism to the wilderness journey. Jesus didn't go around it or avoid it. He went straight through it. He came out victorious. He's setting the pattern of Israel. He calls 12 disciples to himself shortly after, which leads us to today. And there's a missing ingredient. There's something missing so far in the story. A couple of weeks ago during our prayer time after the gathering, which we'll pray again after this gathering if you want to join us for a few minutes, Ben I had said something that has stuck with me the last two weeks. He's, he prayed for us as a congregation. He prayed that we would experience both the logic of the gospel and the power of the gospel. The logic and the power. And the last couple of weeks, we've seen the logic of who Jesus is and what he's about. What he's trying to do as the true Israel to bless the nations that was promised long ago. But we haven't yet seen the power of the gospel. The power. And that will change today because we're going to go from the gospel of Matthew and we're going to jump over to the gospel of John and we're going to look at Jesus' first miracle at the wedding at Cana. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 2. We're going to read a couple verses there to shape and form us as God's people as we experience both the logic and the power of the gospel. John chapter 2. Let me pray as we read from God's Word. John chapter 2 verse 1. That's where we're going to be. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your Word? that Jesus would come alive to us and He would be robed before us today as we uh, get to hear from Him. God, would this passage and the story that happened thousands of years ago shape us today to be a more faithful, present, missionary people in our cities, to experience both the logic of the gospel, how it makes sense, and this is the true story of the world, but also the power that you have the power, God, to heal, to redeem and restore to do marvelous things in our midst. And so, God, would we see your power today displayed through this wedding at Cana, through you, your Son, Jesus Christ. And would that power come upon us through the Spirit. And in Jesus' name, amen. John 2, verse 1. says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Verse 4, Woman. Man, this is a hard word to translate. There's, this is a really interesting thing. This word is used nowhere else 
in Greek literature in this context, in how the original language and the original writing, it's a really unique word. So it could be ma'am, maybe. Ma'am, woman. Don't think of it as derogatory, but rather just Jesus addressing his mother in a unique way. Ma'am, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my, my hour has not yet come. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. That's so great. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want you to turn to somebody around you. What's a particular phrase or character in the story that grabs your attention as we see the power of the gospel displayed through Jesus' first miracle? What, what grabs you? What is Jesus maybe trying to get your attention with in this story? Turn to somebody around you. Ready, set, go. Hopefully something has grabbed your attention. Don't underestimate even the power of a phrase or a character as this is a living story in many ways that is seeking to shape and form you and me just as much as it was supposed to shape and form that first audience that listened to it. As we look at this story, I want to give you just four insights, four simple insights to what Jesus is doing in this story. The first one is right away. It says that there was no more wine. Most stories, uh, narratives, especially in the Gospels, follow the simple uh, pattern. You have a setting, you have a conflict, you have some sorts of rising, rising action, you have a climax, and then you have a resolution. This story is no different. The conflict enters right away. There's no more wine. Weddings back in the day would go on for seven days, which is pretty cool. And if you were to run out of wine during the wedding, it would be one of the most shameful things that could happen. It would bring shame to your family. Shame to the person hosting the wedding that they didn't have enough wine for the party and for the people that came. No more wine. My simple question for you this morning to start is, where in many ways have you run out? Just like there's no more wine, where have you run out? Where you feel empty, maybe embarrassed, shameful. You feel like you've come to the end of yourself. I've been thinking about the last 18 months in light of us being in this global pandemic and all of the disruption and then the starting and stopping that goes back and forth all the time. The anxiety and fear. Oh, things are going, are going good. Oh, no, they're, they're not. And then you're trying to discern and decipher it all. And like, where do you find good information? And everyone's telling you a different story and the internet has destroyed everything. Everyone has a different opinion. I don't know about you, but I just have fatigue over the last 18 months of trying to navigate through so many different realities that used to be so simple that now are so complex. And the reality is the next 18 months, it's not, it won't be a surprise for there to be more and more burnout and fallout and fatigue 
and tiredness as we've tried to navigate through something that people haven't navigated through in close to 100 years. Where have you run out? The beauty in being able to name where that is in the space in your heart and in your life is it gives an opportunity for Jesus to show up and enter in like he does in this story. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. And Jonathan said it back here a couple other days. It's really interesting. Jesus says, my, my hour hasn't come. And then his mother just says to the, to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Of this whole story, that phrase has stuck with me for the last couple of weeks. Do whatever he tells you. If you've bought a house before, you hire an inspector to come in and basically diagnose all of the problems of the house. I remember when we bought our first house in East Mesa, the inspector found things that I didn't even know existed. Like their role is not to fix or to solve anything, but just to diagnose all the potential problems that you're going to face if you buy this house. We live in a culture that is so good at diagnosing and then deconstructing the problems that we face. I just read a book recently that talked about the problems of the modern vision of the self. And it's 300 pages of all this philosophy and insights. It's amazing. And it gives one page of solutions or maybe posture of what we do next. That's the culture we live in. Obsessed with diagnosing, deconstructing, but then doing nothing in response. Here's my hope for us as a congregation is yes, we need to do the hard work of diagnosing and deconstructing and seeing what's wrong and tracking our family of origin, seeing the stories, the competing narratives that we live in in our world. But what would we be known, my hope would be that we would be known as a people that trust and obey. Simple obedience, that we would do whatever he tells us to do. That simple obedience and response in our culture is a countercultural act in a culture that just wants to diagnose and de deconstruct, that we would be a people that, yes, do that hard work, but we would take obedience seriously. We would do whatever he tells us to do. Man, what would it look like for us in our city to be known as people that get to work at the problems at hand, that are empowered by the Spirit, that have been sent out, but we would do the basic, simple things of what it means to be a faithful presence in people's lives? Megan Visser, our Missio Kids deacon, she's been working on a reflection guide to think through some of the habits and practices that you've formed over the last six months around the blessed rhythms. Bless, listen, eat, speak, and Sabbath. So we're going to put together a reflection guide and have you as a family or as an individual reflect on what are the habits that you've formed over the last six months or so. So we're going to diagnose. But then we're going to invite you as a family, as an individual, to practice a new habit, to start a new pattern, a new rhythm, a simple act of obedience. And those blessed, blessed rhythms are really helpful. What would it look like to practice a rhythm of blessing, listening, eating, speaking, or sabbathing regularly to be a people of obedience that do whatever he tells us to do? Would you turn to the person next to you real quick and share, as you think about those simple rhythms, which of those rhythms, like, hey, I want to grow over the next six months in blessing, in listening, in eating regularly with others, in speaking good news to others, in Sabbathing, developing a rhythm of rest, not just a whole month of rest in July, but an ongoing pattern. Which rhythm, just real quick, which one sticks out to you and, and said that, share that with the person next to you.
whether it's blessing, listening, eating, speaking, and Sabbathing. We practice these things in an act of obedience out of the way that we've been formed in our identity as a family of missionary servants in light of this big story with Jesus being the hero who has offered us redemption and forgiveness so that we might live differently as God's children. So whatever the rhythm is, my encouragement would be to take small steps of obedience, deliberate choices of obedience in the months to come. Let me give you the third phrase. It comes from Jesus. He says simply, fill the jars. Fill the jars. And he's about to make wine. Maybe this is an invitation for us as we walk in obedience to do the simple work of filling the jars as Jesus makes the wine. He does something with our simple obedience. Let me give you a picture of maybe what that looks like right now in our community. We have two missional communities that are gathered around a shower ministry that every month they put together uh, a space. They create a space at Church of the Desert in Scottsdale so that men and women that are experiencing homelessness might come and receive a hot shower. They might have healthy relationship. They might be helped transition from homelessness to housing and jobs. In that space, Jesus, we will fill the jars. You make the wine. We have an MC that's kind of in two different worlds right now. One world, caring for people through Care Portal, that is helping usually young moms or or needy families get basic needs met. That goes through this online platform and it connects them with a church, and this church then steps forward to provide for basic needs, maybe often on the verge of foster care or losing their kids, that we can step in in that way. Jesus, we will fill the jars. You make the wine. We have also a group of people in that MC that are around a park, Hudson Park particularly, where there's some experiencing homelessness that hang out around there. There's young families. There's people in and out of that park all the time. They have a splash pad that's awesome and a playground. And they're trying to be a faithful presence there so that people might encounter good news through our community. Jesus, we will fill the jars. You make the wine. We have another community gathered around a a homeless ministry here that the city puts on in Tempe called iHelp. And once a month, we try to make this banquet meal where we get to share it with some friends experiencing homelessness and share the meal together and have relationship and see men and women transition from, again, uh, homelessness to affordable housing and jobs. Just faithful, deliberate presence. Jesus, we will fill the jars. You make the wine. We have a group of people that are gathered around a soccer team in the middle of Phoenix. One of the guys even is going to maybe assistant, be an assistant coach this year that's part of that MC. And they're going to be a faithful presence to the soccer team that many of the families are at or below the poverty line and their need of just basic resources. Jesus, we will fill the jars. You make the the wine. We have a group of people that are oriented around a gym. They spent all this money to build this giant gym in their backyard so that people could come experience holistic health and be transformed with favor with God and man in wisdom and stature. Holistic health. They call it Project 252. And they're wanting to be a faithful presence so that men and women and children in that neighborhood and beyond might encounter Jesus through their community of working out. Jesus, we will fill the jars. 
you make the wine. All of us, you've been sent into neighborhoods, vocations and jobs, workplaces, parenting, whatever it is, you've been given the deliberate, simple, mundane work of showing up day in and day out to be a faithful presence in people's lives, to try to model to them Jesus' life, and then to speak good news into their situations. Jesus, we will fill the jars. You make the wine. Would you fill the jars, my friends, this fall and expect Jesus to be able to do a miraculous work of taking that water and making it wine? I want to invite uh, the worship team up to the front. Stephanie and Ryan that are serving communion, I'd like to invite you guys as well. As I share this last phrase, I want you to see from this passage. Jesus says, or the host of the banquet says, You saved the best for last. You saved the best for last. All throughout the scripture in the Old Testament, as we've been journeying month to month, the picture has really been of a wedding. The kingdom as a wedding banquet, a feast. That one day the Messiah would come back and he would call his bride, the church, back to himself. And they would celebrate for all of eternity the amazing things that God had done. And not only just for their relationship, but their relationship would be oriented towards the world for the sake of others being drawn in. At this wedding that we're going to experience when Jesus returns, not just in the story where he gave us a taste of it, but when he comes back, whenever that might be, at this wedding the dancing will go on forever and ever for 10,000 years. At this wedding... The storytelling won't just be like those stupid speeches, sorry I maybe used the word stupid, those foolish speeches that happen at weddings where the best man or the best the, the, the bridesmaid, maid of honor, gets up and gives some silly speech about from their child, but it will be story after story of God's redemptive work in their midst. At this wedding, everyone will have a seat of honor and sit at Jesus' table and see him face to face. At this wedding, everyone will experience the moment when the bride walks down the aisle and catches the eyes of the groom. That we'll catch Jesus' eye and he will be overwhelmed to see us. This is the picture here in the wedding of Canaan. It's a foretaste of what is to come. And so as you, in a moment, stand up and come to receive communion, what I want you to think about as this moment, I want you to see it as a rehearsal dinner, the rehearsal that happens before the wedding, that as you come and receive communion, it would be a rehearsal for when Jesus returns once and for all. So would you stand with me? I'm going to read our words that we read each week from 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to have you proclaim the mystery of faith with me. It says this, on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for you and for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
And it's on your handout, and maybe you've memorized it at this point, but let's recite the mystery of our faith and then come and receive as this, as this rehearsal dinner takes place for the wedding feast that is to come. It's Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Let's say it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Please come and receive from Him.